it makes me a better host because I have to be more prepared. I have to ask better questions. I have to be really engaged in the conversation. I used those other co-hosts to rely on a lot to like carry things when it felt awkward to me or I didn't know what to do next or say next. And so I think it's really helped me step up my game. I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer of having a co-host. Like that's something only you can decide. And if somebody comes into it and they're committed to that equal partnership and like carrying the load. And it might look different. Like some of you might love to do the editing. One person might love to do the preparation. So it kind of like you have to figure out what that balance is and what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. Welcome to another episode of Listeners to Leads, where I'm helping podcasters launch and maintain a lead generating show. I'm your host, Alicia Galati, the CEO and head podcast strategist behind Galati Media, a full service podcast management company. On this show, you'll hear my guests and I discuss everything it takes to launch a successful podcast and keep it running. If you're ready to get leads, land speaking gigs, and create deeper connections with your audience through your podcast, then this is the show for you. Today on the podcast, we have Emily Aborn. I am really excited to share Emily's amazingness and story with you. She has been podcasting for quite a long time, and I love the perspective that she is able to give in her journey and evolution as a podcaster. She has gone through so much, so looking at how it started versus how her podcast is done now. I think you're really going to get a lot of value from this, especially if you're feeling stuck or like you're not really sure what to do next with your podcast or you're feeling like, ah, should I stop it? Should I rebrand it? What should I do with my show? It doesn't feel aligned anymore. So be sure to listen to this episode. If you're feeling that way, you are going to find encouragement and support and Emily shares some really vulnerable aspects of being a podcast host and a business owner and being strategic with her podcast. So with that, let's welcome Emily to the show. Hello, Emily. I'm so excited that you're on the show today. If you could just start by telling us who you are, what you do, and what your podcast is about. Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm also very excited. So my name is Emily Aborn, and I'm a content writer, and I'm also the owner and founder of She Built This, which is a woman's entrepreneurship community. And my podcast is basically an extension of that community. It brings on like inspiring stories from a lot of women entrepreneurs, as well as tips, tools, resources, things that they need along the way. I'm all about like taking out the hustle in all that stuff and like the need to, should to, have to. Like I never want people to walk away from my podcast feeling stressed out or overwhelmed. So it's it's kind of like a that sort of approach to entrepreneurship. I love that. And is it for people who are like in the beginning phases of their business or middle or later? I think really all over and even non-entrepreneurs, like there's a lot of people that listen to my show that are not entrepreneurs and they still like it because we bring in like lots of life stuff like relationships and money and things like that. So well-rounded, which I love. <laughs> That's I'm just so curious about everything. Like I just want to have all the topics. (laughs) Yes. So you have been a podcaster for quite a while. And one thing that we're going to talk about today is how it started versus how it's going now. And I know a lot of people who are listening to the show are usually on the newer side or they're experienced and they're just looking to up-level their show. 
First, how did it start? And what are some of those things that you wish you would have known when you started? I've always had on like my quote unquote bucket list that I wanted to start a podcast. Like ever since I first discovered Serial, which was the first podcast I ever listened to, I was like, oh my God, this is an amazing format. So I think that was like around 2014 or something. My husband and I binged them like the entire way to New Jersey. So I knew I wanted to have a podcast. And in 2017, I had this group, she built this. And I was like, oh, it needs to be like some sort of extension of that where like women can share their stories and like inspire one another. So I decided, well, the best way to do this is to learn about how to produce one. So I hired somebody locally who I actually, I was on a podcast for a chiropractor back in like 2010. And I was like her co-host and we would record it his studio. So I had him teach a little class on how to start a podcast. And I actually ended up going through the class twice because I was like, I must learn everything. (laughs) But it still seemed really overwhelming. Like it was a lot of tech. And like I was watching him do the editing. And I'm like, Oh, my God, that is that looks impossible. And all the pluggy thingies. I just had I, I was like, No, I can't do this. And it was a little discouraging. Mm. But I decided, you know what, I really want to do this. So I started to produce it there, like in a studio, lovely studio, like soundproofing and the right microphones. You know, you sound like an NPR host, like it was just so beautiful. And then it was like, perfectly edited every single time. So that's how I started. Awesome. Listening to you say that, like, podcasting was so different then, because I remember my first podcast was... Stuff You Should Know, absolutely loved it, fell in love with it, and was like, what is this magic? (laughs) What is a podcast? (laughs) Around 2014, maybe into 2015. Like the production of podcasts then is obviously so different. And now people who are realizing, oh, I can record in my closet. Like I don't have to go to a studio. There are so many differences between like how you started versus how it can be now and like the accessibility for people to be able to self-produce a show, which I think is so wonderful that people now have this ability where they don't have to go to a studio, they don't have to really even leave their closet if they don't want to, you know, to be able to get their message out into the world, which is awesome. And I also think it's awesome because it opens up like, I mean, the funny thing is about this pandemic is like, of course, we could have accessed anywhere in the world and connected with people all over the world before, but we were like stuck in our little local boxes. And that was the other thing about starting in a production studio, like people had to come to me. And so it was really only I mean, I live in New Hampshire. So it was only like New Hampshire and Massachusetts businesses. It Mm -hmm. was just a very small pool to pull from. And now I connect to people all over the world. And it's amazing. So how is it going now versus then? So I've learned that I can actually, you just have to grab your own microphone and do a little research to make sure it's a good one. But I actually do my own editing now. And I kind of do the whole entire thing, nuts and bolts from beginning to end. And I really enjoy the editing process. It's time consuming a little bit. But that's not in all cases, but it can be time consuming. Mm -hmm. But I really like it now. I found that like just opening myself up and like trying to learn this new tool was a really good process for for me. 
I love learning new things. And it's not as hard as I was making it out to be. That's how it's going. And like I said, like I connect with people kind of all over the place now. I want to share a funny story, even down to your intro music, like is something I just, I think the difference was I just didn't have a plan. Like I was like, Mm. I'm just going to try this. But I was paying a lot of money to not have a plan. Like I (laughs) was paying for these episodes to be produced and I didn't really know what I was doing along the way. My intro music started because I, I have like a sarcastic sense of humor. And so my intro music started as an elevator like it was like the music you would hear in an elevator and it was like really boring (laughs) and funny to me but I think I was the only one that thought it was funny I get a lot of compliments now on my music and I think it's just because I took the time to really think about like you know I listen to a lot of other podcasters that do similar things and it was like okay it kind of needs to be like this upbeat like airy vibe not like you're stuck in an elevator having an awkward conversation with somebody you don't know, which I thought was so funny, but it's not funny. (laughs) I love that so much. If anyone is trying to figure out what music to get, usually what I tell people to ask themselves is what do you want your audience to feel? Like brand new people coming into your space, how do you want them to feel going in? And then use that kind of vibe or energy to pick out your music that way. And that tends to work. Yeah. So you have had co-hosts before. I know from my hobby podcast and having co-hosts, it's a whole other beast of like trying to navigate schedules. Is it still aligned for both of you? What if it's aligned for one of you, but not the other person? So there's a lot more dynamics that go into that than I think that people actually understand. So what were your experiences with that? I've had two. So my first co-host was actually the producer of the podcast. It was a guy and it was sort of like my podcast is called She Built This and it is mostly targeted towards women entrepreneurs. And so it was a little bit random in that in that regard. He's so fantastic. He's the funniest person. But he was sort of like the peanut gallery (laughs) in the episodes. And I never introduced him or like explained who he was or like that I'd known him for years. And this is where my podcasting journey started. So he's just like this completely random voice on my episodes. And that's on me. You know, that's totally my fault for like not taking time to introduce him or having an episode with just the two of us where people got to know us. Mm -hmm. So from there... I moved into bringing on another host that was more aligned with me and we were friends at the time and it just didn't end up working out. And like, it's to your point, like schedules were a little bit of an issue and like who does what and it not being aligned for somebody and also her having a lot on her plate and Mm -hmm. just having this be like another thing. I will say that I decided not to have a co-host after that. Like I was like, I'm just going to do this myself. And it's actually made me a much better host. I think sometimes I would love to have a co-host to like bounce things off of. Sometimes I'll do a collaborative episode where I bring on a a friend of mine as my co-host, but it makes me a better host because I have to be more prepared. I have to ask better questions. I have to be really engaged in the conversation. I used those other co-hosts to rely on a lot to like Mm. carry things when it felt awkward to me or I didn't know what to do next or say next. And so I think it's really helped me step up my game. I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer of having a co-host. Like that's something only you can decide. And if somebody comes into it and they're committed to that equal partnership and like carrying the load and it might look different. Like some of you might love to do the editing. One person might love to do the preparation. So it kind of like you have to figure out what that balance is and what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. 
but I don't think that there's a right or wrong for having a co-host. It just wasn't for me. I'm like a very independent person. So (laughs) to your point about like who does what, I am extremely type A and I'm an Enneagram one. So there's my way and then all the wrong ways to do things. So (laughs) same. (laughs) Anytime that like I would be like, well, we're going to do it this way. Like Obviously, my sister understands how I am, and she was my co-host. So it works because, you know, we have that relationship beforehand. But imagining trying to bring someone in, I'd be like, nope, this is my train. I'm running it. Like, I already know how it would go. So if you know your personalities like that, maybe lean toward having a solo show. And to your point of listeners to leads, if you both have your own businesses, you have to decide where you want, like, okay, well, who gets the leads? You know, where are the leads going? And so that's another thing you have to navigate if you are truly trying to generate income from doing your podcast. Absolutely. There's one of our clients who is a co-host show, and they're both in the same business. So like one is the CEO, the other one is the head of education. And so it works that way. So like when I have Jess on my show once, and I think that works really well to your point of like bringing listeners in to turning them into leads and being able to use your podcast that way. If you're looking more at the sponsorship side, then I think it doesn't really matter because your focus is more on your listeners and what kind of sponsors match those people. So that's something to note for our listeners who are considering that as well. I also love that your journey into podcasting, you tried these things and you were able to say, that uh, that didn't work out the way I thought it would, where some people would be like, I'm trash. This is trash. Like everybody's seen that reel, right? (laughs) Like throw it in the garbage. I'm done. But you didn't. And I absolutely love that about your story is because you kept going like, okay, well, this this didn't really work. All right. This is what I did wrong here. Let's kind of change it up next time. So I think that's encouraging to our listeners who maybe are like, this is not working. Do I just throw it in the trash or do I keep going? How did you kind of make that decision in the moment? It's a great question. And I love that you brought that to light. You know, I was tempted to like, okay, let's rename the podcast. Like we're going to rebrand it, everything. But once you get a little bit of that momentum, in my opinion, it's gold. Like if you start a Facebook business page, someone asked in my group the other day, I have a Facebook business page. It has only a hundred followers. Should I just scrap it and start again? And I was like, nope because you have 100 followers. So start where you are, you know, and I think that's kind of like, you know, I've done a lot of pivoting in my life. And like, my journey has been very rambly, I sort of accumulate things like experiences and use them to build off of each other. I love the concept of a fresh slate. But I also know that that's not the way to get to where you want to go the fastest. Absolutely. I say that to people who want to create a brand new Instagram account for their podcast. And I'm like, if it has to do with your business or it's similar to what your interests are, no, (laughs) you're growing from scratch. And that's not easy to do, especially in social media now. Like, sure, 10 years ago, it might have been easier, but now it's not. So use the audience that you already have, especially if it's something that they're already interested in. If it's a hobby or if it's completely veering different or in a different direction, then sure. But you know that you're going to have to start from scratch and it's not going to be that quick 
25,000 followers. Woohoo, it happened. Like, that's that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, it makes it so much harder when you wipe the slate clean every single time you want to start something new. Yes. Just let them come on the journey with you. <laughs> exactly. So you also mentioned collaborative episodes. I love collaborative episodes. I think that it creates a deeper insight into the guests and how they connect with friends or, you know, biz besties or whatever. So how has that kind of, I know you mentioned that it you've started doing some of those. What do those look like? What does the structure look like? Are they interviewing you or is it more of just like a discussion? So I work with a local chocolate company called Naughty Good Bites, and she and I are like fantastic friends. She's she's a graphic designer, and she also has this chocolate company. And every month, they nominate a woman of the month in their chocolate company. It's all about like lifting up women. So we bring that woman of the month onto the show because it's a perfect fit, you know, and they share a different story. Like it's mm. oftentimes not entrepreneurial at all. I'll give you some examples. Like one woman's son was in a very terrible car accident mm. and he spent, I think it was like 191 days recovering from this accident. So it was about that journey. And then the other one, like the woman went, compl- she was a hairdresser and she completely lost her eyesight. And so she had to navigate this new world without her eyesight. So it's these journeys of like these really resilient people. And she and I really like, I mean, we have such a great rapport because we're great friends. Those episodes get the most downloads all the time. And I think people just love, they love a story of resilience. And Mm. also when you do a collaborative episode, everybody in the conversation shares typically the episode because they want their story heard too. So then you're just getting like, you're basically tripling your listenership if you do decide to go collaborative and have somebody and another guest like three i will say i did a collaborative episode once where i called it like my virtual zoom room and i had six people and they all had like a time slot and they came in and came out and stuff and it was not one of my most well listened to episodes and i'm like this doesn't make any sense because it's six people it should be six x but no it just wasn't It was clunky and it just wasn't like very good and nobody really helped me share it. And that is a good lesson for me because it was so much edit. You can imagine it was just like an editing nightmare (laughs) and it was so time consuming and it did not like do that much. So you have to, when you're collaborating, be careful about who you're collaborating with and know what the like, you know, what it looks like on the back end for you as far as like work. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned in the beginning And then it kind of made me think of it as you were talking about these collaborative episodes that you have a lot of interests and you like to bring on people who can kind of reflect these interests. On the podcast, we talk about content buckets, which I'm not going to say the analogy. You guys know it already (laughs) about the splash pad and the bucket, the brain bucket, dumping into all these smaller buckets and kind of funneling your content through those to say, okay, this belongs on the podcast. This belongs somewhere else. What does that look like for you with having so many interests and kind of a broader scope of topics that you can cover? How do you kind of narrow it down and decide this belongs on the podcast and this does not? You are so speaking my language. This is my favorite topic as a content writer. So this has been really refined over time. Um, and and I know you did a you did a fantastic episode on choosing your format, and you talked about choosing seasons. So I don't choose seasons or do seasons. I do themes, and every single month has a theme, and that always fits. So. 
I've aligned my theme to match my email. I've aligned my theme to match the live interviews that I do in my group. Everything I talk about in my group, the book we're reading together in our group, the workshop we're doing in our group, everything is in line with that theme, including the podcast. That way, when I'm doing my intro every single week, I lead people to the workshop. I lead people to the live. I lead people to whatever the thing is because it's all surrounding that theme. So like I'll give you I'll just give you two examples. January's theme was visibility. And so I had four, all my guests talked about visibility. And it was like nuances of that. There's so mm-hmm. much. And like, I really put tight guardrails on my themes. But you would be surprised, like when you decide you're going to go tiny with a theme, or like you think it's micro, it actually opens up this whole world of possibilities. And then February was relationships. And we've talked about everything from your marital relationship as an entrepreneur to your money relationship as an entrepreneur. So I just keep it really tight into those themes. And like in the relationships month, so many people reach out to me and they were like, oh my gosh, I want to hear more about this. I want to hear more about this. And I'm like, well, we're going to have a relationship 2.0 month because (laughs) this was such a good, it was a really popular theme. So that's how I do it. I do themes and I keep it just aligned throughout my business. Everything I'm talking about on Instagram, everything I'm posting, you know, I have two separate businesses. So this is specific to She Built This. I tend to match the two with my own business too, but not as stringently. Yeah. So it's about going deeper rather than wider, which I absolutely love that. How far in advance are you planning this? I know you said you're going to do like a relationship 2.0. Is that going to be like three months from now? Or are you like, okay, we're going to swing this for next month? How does that kind of work for you? So I start with one quarter at a time, but usually like at this point, you know, it's February as we're recording this and Q2 is going to start in April. Why? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. So close. What happened? (laughs) I've already decided April, May, and I'm like tinkering with June, you know, so I, I, I would say three months in advance. I admire people that can do their entire year in advance, but I think that if if COVID taught me anything, it's that sometimes you have to like adapt and, and pivot a little bit. So I try not to plan that far in advance. It's not healthy for someone like me. I'm a type one too. And I'm like, you give me a plan. I want to plan dinner from now until like October. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can also, it, it gets a bit obsessive compulsive. And then it doesn't allow any room for like, the universe to like throw things in because life you know uh so yeah i agree i can't plan that far in advance like i have a friend she's launching a group program and it's 10 months long and i was like yeah no (laughs) like i can't do anything for 10 months i don't know where i'm gonna be in 10 months like i can't do that otherwise it's too too many guardrails for me i can't (laughs) yeah yeah six to eight weeks is about my max (laughs) yes so you mentioned that you're now doing your own editing And for anyone who's considering doing it, depending on how much you want to kind of fine tune your editing and how natural you want the conversations to be or how produced you want them to be, the typical average is four times the length of the audio. So a 30 minute episode is going to take you about two hours at least to edit. You've mentioned that you in our pre-talk that you've paid oodles and oodles (laughs) for an editor. What did that look like? I know you mentioned also that you weren't really clear on exactly where the direction the podcast wanted to go. And so paying an editor doesn't always make sense at that point, right? Where you're like, "Mm, let's see what's going to happen. But what was that experience like for you? Well, he was a fantastic editor and it was very clean, very, very clean. Like no ums, no uhs, no, I, I, you know, I click a lot when I talk, like I make this 
noise like that. And there was none of that. Now I like it to be a lot more conversational. And I, as people are talking, I, I've really shortened my editing process because I take notes while they're talking. So while they're talking, if something goes awry, I write down the timestamp. And then I'm like, okay, I know in this point in the conversation, I have to go back and fix that. Like they lose their train of thought or whatever it is. I also give them cues, like make it super obvious if you mess up, tell me you're going to start again and we can restart it. It's no big deal. So I would say now, like it's very easy for me and it's, thank God it's not, you said 4X, I think? Yes. <laughs> yeah, mine's maybe two and, and that's still a lot. But I think when I was paying someone, it was not that the, that was the wrong choice. I just didn't have a call to action. I didn't have like she built this was not a business. It was just a free group I was running. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have anything to guide people to. So I was just paying money and not making money. I didn't even really know what I was doing in my own personal business. I just was kind of mm -hmm. like, yep, I do everything. <laughs> and so I think I just had no business paying someone to do that for me, you know, but I really wanted this dream to happen. And so that's where I started. And I'm grateful for that start every single day, because without that, I might not have had the confidence to do it myself. Yeah. I think it's important for people to know exactly what it takes to start a podcast and to understand that like you can offload things if it's going to make you at least start. That's going to help you to be able to at least make that traction, start going, even if it's literally a strategy session to be like, what do I need to do? Like work with your business coach, work with a podcast producer at a lower kind of starting point than like paying hundreds or thousands of dollars to launch your podcast, but at least get an idea and a plan in place. So that way you know what you're going to do next. There's an episode that's going to be going live before this one, and it's how to know if you should start a podcast. And I think that's a really good starting point for people after they listen to this one, because there's a lot in there of like, do you have a plan? Do you know where you're guiding people? Do you know what your audience wants to hear? Like those are things that you have to ask yourself to understand, is podcasting even right for me? Over the years of your podcasting, have you ever felt like, I'm done, I wanna throw in the towel? <laughs> Definitely. And I think that's when I first started doing it on on my own because mm -hmm. I felt frustrated. Like I didn't have, a, I, I still wasn't exactly clear on what I was doing. Like I've really refined it. And now I feel, I feel so energized and so happy that I stuck with it each and every day and like just work to refine that process. But it's learning like what your audience wants and then combining that or or I guess meeting where it takes your goals too. So you kind of have to like make this bridge of what they need and what you need to sustain it. But yeah, it was, you know what else? I also got on this train before I did the thing themes and focusing. I got on this train of saying yes to every single person that wanted to be on my show. And I had probably four bad interviews in a row. One woman, in fact, asked me what the name of my show was while she was on my show. And one oh woman God. showed up and gave just no value at all. Like, oh, you can just go find that on my Instagram. You can go find that on my YouTube. You can go find that on my website. You know, and I, I think that's where I said, no, 
Like I need people need to understand that this is about giving value. You can spoon feed, you know, this is something important for people that want to be guests. You can spoon mm-hmm. feed your audience every single piece of your framework. And I guarantee you they are still going to buy your book, join your course, sign up for your membership. Like you can give them everything. And I think the more generous you are as a guest, the more rapport you actually build with people. So I had done like four of those in a row where it was just like bad interview after bad interview after bad interview because I just said yes, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's when I drew a line in the sand, made boundaries and was like, all right, this is what this show is. And this is what it's about. And I think from there, it just kind of clicked. And that was back in 2020. Like it was really rough in 2020. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with this thing. I just Mm -hmm. said yes to everybody. I don't know. I wanted to keep it going, but I didn't have a clear vision. I love what you said about being able to give your audience so much value and like, they're still going to join your membership. They're still going to buy from you. They're still going to do these things. When you have a podcast, sometimes it can be easy to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to share this thing because paying clients only get this thing. But you have to understand that you're generalizing a lot of the things that you're talking about on your podcast. It's not custom tailored to, If they're working with you. Yeah. And not to mention, if you're a service provider, like most people want it just done for them. So they're like, yeah, that was great. Like, I loved how you talked so deeply about what my content plan should be, but I don't want to do that. So here, (laughs) you can still do it for me. So I think that's, yeah, that's valuable if you're a service provider. Just remember, like, you can literally walk people through how to do it themselves. And I think most people are still going to say, well, I don't want to do that myself. And plus, it shows that you're an expert and that you know what you're talking about. If you spend the whole time giving fluff, then you're not going to – like, they could Google that. (laughs) They could find that somewhere else. But when you start giving examples and really being able to give value to your audience, it takes you to a whole other level of, hey, I am an expert. I know what I'm talking about. And then people are going to want to work with you. Yeah, I agree. What I've really learned and loved the most about this entire process is that you're really, as a podcast host, building a community around Mm -hmm. you. And you can make people get that feeling every single episode that they listen to by sharing a little bit about yourself, by shouting out your reviewers and like really giving them their moment in the sun and just bringing other people into the conversation. Like, you know, somebody listening sent you a message about this one thing and you refer to it in your episode. And mm-hmm. I cannot tell you like how many times people send me something. They're they're like live tweeting me while they're listening to their to the episode, like texting me, you know. And so then I bring it up again and it just like solidifies that. So it's I just think that's what I've loved most is just creating this community around me and also connecting with other podcast hosts. Like that is one of my favorite people to have on my show because you know what you're doing. Yes. <laughs> but also that's part of building that community of listeners too because you know people that listen to podcasts tend to listen to more than just your podcast. They listen mm-hmm. to a lot of podcasts. So, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on Emily. Where should people go to hang out with you or connect with you or listen to your show? Thank you so much for having me. And if you want to learn about like basically everything I do, you can just visit shebuiltthis.org. Perfect. Thank you so much. We'll make sure we link that in the show notes and you can find Emily over there. All right. Bye. Thanks, Alicia. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Listeners to Leads. 
If you found something in this episode valuable, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend who you know would also get value from it. Want to send me a message? My favorite place to hang out is Instagram. You can find me at alicia.lottie. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was from the episode. And don't forget, turning those listeners into leads is actually easy.